y'all. I have so many cool things happening in 2023, and I want you to be a part of them. Among other things, we've got a retreat, international retreat that we're planning. We're also planning a big like camp festival retreat hybrid over either in Colorado or in the Redwoods. So there's just a lot of cool shit happening there. I'm also getting ready to launch a lot of new stuff in this third quarter slash into the new year around some meditation courses and some ways that we can start practicing spirituality together. And you don't want to miss any of that. So... To be on the inside of all that, I want you to go to thekevingarcia.com slash subscribe and subscribe to my newsletter. That way you, A, can get a sample of my first book, Bad Theology Kills, and you can be uh, the first to know about all the incredible opportunities coming down the line with the Crowded Table community and more. So once again, go to thekevingarcia.com slash subscribe and join the newsletter. See you there. Let's get the show started now. of A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary folks living revolutionary lives. I'm Kevin, and I am back after a couple weeks off because sometimes when you get off your schedule and you have ADD and, uh, you know, all those fun little neurodivergencies, sometimes it's a struggle to get things done, but it's easier when you have an editor. So shout out to my editor, Cobb. They're the best. If you need a podcast editor, let me know. Uh, Anyways, this week, y'all, you're in for the treat. Dante Stewart is on the pod. If you don't know who Dante Stewart is, he's an award-winning writer. He's the author of Shouting in the Fire, an American Epistle. And we get into why this is such an important phrase that he used in his first book. Uh, A little bit more about him. He was named as Georgia Writer of the Year in 2022, which was this year. He's also named as one of the 22 faith leaders to watch in 2022 and by Religion News Service as 10 up-and-coming faith leaders. His work has appeared in The Atlantic, New York Times, The Washington Post, Time, ESPN's, Anscape, Oxford American Sojourners, NPR CNN, Parents, and more. He got his BA in sociology from Clemson, currently studying at Candler School of Theology at Emory University here in Atlanta. And today we, oh, we just get into some delicious theological conversation. So I hope that you're ready to get super nerdy with us. Make sure you follow Dante's work at DanteCStewart.com. He's got all of his links to his bios in there, including how to get his book. So yeah, grab yourself something to drink, um, chill, share this with a friend, cozy up with a loved one, and enjoy this conversation with my friend, Dante Stewart. Hey everybody, welcome to A Tiny Revolution. It's a podcast about ordinary folks living revolutionary lives, and we are here to die. Uh, with my friend, new, new internet friend, future real life friend, Dante Stewart, author of Shouting in the Fire, an American Epistle, which also, what a title. What a, Oh, an, thank an, you. Thank he you. He said, you know, not I a was, memoir, not I a was, book, but a, an epistle. You know, I was like, like I, I had to fight tooth and nail to, to actually have my book titled that because, I mean, people on the team thought that like, yo, epistle is not a like widely... I guess use term. So therefore, like people not going to know what it is. Like people going to struggle with it. They they may be turned off by it and things like that. And I I mean I fought for it because I was like, yo, like when that joint come off the tongue, like it feels good to the tongue, like mm-hmm. off the gut, like like yes. like because I I noticed that like if you think about like so many books and, and from on the literary scene, I mean heavy an American memoir, you know, citizen an American lyric, um, Tayari mm. Jones joint. An American marriage. And I was like, okay, if my book is going to be like in those tradition, which I feel like my work in my book is in the tradition of people like Kiesa Lehman and uh, Claudia Rankin and Tiari, um, then why can I name it an American epistle and that be I, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad, I'm glad in the end that that was the title and subtitle that we chose. And, and I feel like, you know, whatever, whatever, Whatever confusion or lack of knowledge regarding that term, I hope that, you know, almost a year now that the book has kind of been in the world, I hope that like, yeah, through conversations and things, it's been able to be explained that like, yo, this this is a love letter to myself, to my people, to this country, to others, 
um, in, in, in the form of the best of our tradition. Because, I mean, in some sense, you know, James Baldwin, literally, The Fire Next Time is an epistle between an uncle and a nephew. Um, yes. And, and yes, so yes, many yes. writers take that type of form of conversation between either you and yourself, between you and another person, between you and somebody who's died. Uh, in Tiny Hunter's Coast, it was between him and his son, between the world and me, um, and, and things like that. So I'm glad you resonated with the subtitle and the title, yo. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, like, also, like, start off with a banger, why don't you? Let them know who you are from the get-go. Because <laughs> uh, usually the first question I ask is like, so how do you introduce yourself to people these days? When they say, so what are you, what's your deal, Dante? It depends on what question they're asking. Like if somebody asks me like, yo, what do you do? Like, you know, I just say, yeah, I'm a writer and a pastor, you know? And, um, mm-hmm. you know, if sometimes when I'm on flights um, and I'm trying to like get work done, I tell people, you know, I'm an investigative journalist. Uh, so usually people <laughs> don't want to talk to yeah, like, like, bro, like, like if I say pastor, even if I say writer, like, 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 it's like, yo, let's have a conversation. I like, and I love, I absolutely, I used to be a barista. So I absolutely mm-hmm. love conversing with people. I love meeting people. I love talking to people. And you know, with the work we do, I feel like narratively meeting a lot of people, like it, it gives us things to write about. It gives us things to talk about. Cause I feel like, you know, through experience, there's forms of knowledge and like ideas that can be presented that flow, that come out of like conversations we had, et cetera, et cetera. But the time when I introduced myself as an investigator journalist, yo, <laughs> um, oh my goodness. Like it, like it shuts down the conversation. Um, so quickly. Yeah, yeah, it do. And I, I do that just to like play with people. You know, I'm an investigative journalist working on Donald Trump's tax returns or like I'm I'm working on like, you know, I'm working on a piece about, you know, this or that. And they usually people usually be like, oh, yeah, all right, I don't want to talk to this dude. Yeah, I usually <laughs> I usually tell people like um, I'm an interior designer. I'm like, I don't know shit about design. I can my house is not decorated very well. <laughs> Um, but it's just like, oh, I know what that is. It's not, you know, it's like, oh, okay. Um, I know a couple, couple of my clergy friends will say that they're accountants. The moment, the moment you say, it's like, oh, you know, um, I work with people with religious trauma because at that moment yeah. they want you to become their therapist in that moment. Facts. They want to. Oh, 100, 100. And if you say you're a writer, they got, they got an opinion. Oh, fact. Sometimes in the moment, like that's good, you know, to be able to like talk with people on the drop of a dime. But then I, I feel like with what we do I mean, there are legitimate times where we seriously got to be about the work and got to be focused and got to be thinking and got to be like, you know, more more times than not, me as a person, if I'm just like out and about by myself, I'm probably thinking about something, you know, thinking about something I'm trying to write, think about something that like, you know, I'm trying to like work on or, and things like that. Um, but then I do feel like sometimes like, yo, all right, like, yeah, let's let's talk and, and we can work through some stuff um, and things like that. So I, I'm interested what has it been like the latest time you've introduced yourself to a person and like it it brought along a super intriguing conversation that you can't forget? Oh, for me, the one time that comes to mind right now that I'll never forget was actually very unintentional. It was early, early in like, I'd probably come out a few months earlier. And so like I was working at the, I don't think I was working at that time. I think I was actually just like, you know, living off like what little credit cards I still had, like credit card balance I had left in between finding another job after getting kicked out of missionary world. And my best friend Miles and I went to the Tegan and Sarah show dressed up as Tegan and Sarah's cats as a joke because they had like these cardboard cutouts of their cats and we wanted to be really meta with it. And so me dressed up as a cat standing behind this person in line, they say, hey, we like your outfits. What do you do? And I, being very earnest, I was just like, oh, I'm a writer. I talk about my journey as a queer Christian and learning to uh, love myself, even though the church has really been shitty to me. And this person just like eyes welled up. And we, as we're standing in line for like 30 minutes waiting to get into the show, we just like, you know, talk about the good gay gospel. And, you know, they grew up, parents were... Uh, or our pastors who didn't accept them. They're getting uh, married later that year. And it was just, and I didn't even like, I just like, you know, they just asked and I said, and it, it yielded this very delicious conversation of a real connection. And then later on, they bought me and my friend like these enamel pins of the same cats that we were dressed up as. as wow. this cute. And I'm like, wow. that's just really fucking cute. 
and really wonderful. Yeah, and we stayed wrong. we stayed connected on on Instagram. So yeah, wow. it's I think it's moments like that where it yielded something really really good. Um and those are the moments I really like. It's like I can usually tell if I'm talking to someone like which direction the conversation is going to go. Oh yeah, want it. Yeah, want it. Cuz I mean, I don't know about you, but like I have been at the bar with a theologian slash theobrogen who wants to let me know, oh, I don't want to see you as yeah. a gay person or I don't want to, I'm not, you know, I'm yeah. colorblind or whatever. It's just, you know, yeah. I just want to see you as a child of God. And yeah. I'm like, I don't want to explain to you that like, I don't care about how you think you want to see me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I need you to perceive reality. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like those conversations, I frequent the coffee shop. Uh, uh, still to this day um and one of the coffee shops i go to is a very popular coffee shop um in town where i used to work um and you know all of i mean you talk about pastors and and, and bible study theology oh my god it is it is the place to be uh Ooh. for that and and sometimes you know those conversations like happen and like people I mean, people just randomly strike up like theological conversations or spiritual conversations. And I'm like, yo, I can't even believe I used to like entertain this at one point in time. Um, and then sometimes people try and like duel with me a little bit, try and like check me a little bit. And what's the most know, wild thing that they've tried to like test you on or like push your buttons on? I, I mean, it's pretty standard. You know, it's like, oh, your your idea of the Bible and the amnesty, you know, your ideas about race and theology, your ideas about, you know, gender and sexuality, your ideas about like the church and, and the mission of the world, the, the mission of the church of the world, you know, all, it almost always like, like, like starts with like, you know, so what do you believe the gospel to be? <laughs> you know, it almost always starts at that. That question is almost the most like, if it's not like talking about something like in in politics today, uh, it's usually that question like, yo, like, OK, so you believe this. So what do you believe about the gospel? And I'm just like, OK, all right, cool. <laughs> I mean, that really gives you a starting place because I'm just like, because when y'all say gospel and I say gospel, we're talking about possibly two different things, maybe. Oh, yeah. One it. Yeah. And no, no. More, I mean, I mean, I mean, indeed. I, I and, and I think one of the saddest parts is that like when they define like that idea of gospel, it's always locked into like a historical past, not not moving in this kind of pressing present that we live in. And the question is not, you know, what do you believe about the gospel as if like it's this like historical narrative? I, I would rather ask, you know, how have you seen the gospel like play out in your life this mm-hmm. week? You know, how have you seen the gospel play out in the world this week you know it's, it's, i was actually reading um um in a hebrew bible the other day in my devotion time and you know it's, it's it was it was i think in isaiah around 58 59 something like that and you know i was kind of going through like yo god was appalled that there was injustice on the earth and nobody to intervene so god you know intervene on behalf of them and you know i, I thought about it i just thought i just wondered you know what does it say about a faith that's you know, so loud about God, you know, but mm-hmm. so quiet about what's going on in the world. Um, or if they're loud about what's going on in the world, um, the God that people feel um, is a God who hates them, don't see them, don't love them, don't care for them. And and what kind of God would need you to be less in order for you to feel more loved? You know, I don't get that, you know, when people talk about the gospel. Yeah, I get it. I get it because we know history. We know mm-hmm. how like bad theology, as you say, mm-hmm. kills. You know how mm-hmm. bad theology forms. We know how bad theology is protected. We know how bad theology is almost invisible. Um, it becomes the norm. Yes. Um, uh, uh, and much harder to dismantle. Much harder to deconstruct. Much harder to fight against. Um, and we, I mean, we know that history, but I think when we have to deal with it once again, even as we're kind of going about our work. It does shock us just like, oh, dang, like, wow, people still believe that way. It's, uh, ain't that, the that's the thing is, like, I'm still shocked sometimes that there is, I mean, like, you just got to take one look at the TikTok machine. That little thing shows me. Oh, like, I ain't even on TikTok. Yeah. Good for you. Don't do it. It's traumatic. Yeah, it's I, ain't even, for, I, ain't even, I ain't even doing it. I can't even do it, bro. I'm just like, like this is going to be a great way to connect with the different audiences. And that is true. But just like. It show I just I some because of like 
I guess the algorithm, it'll like every now and again, show me a video of like a teenage apologist. She's like this close mm. to the camera and looking mm. straight into it and like nearly oh, crying yeah. with his neck beard. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm like, Oh my God, if I, that would have been me. That would, mm. that if I, if I didn't, mm. if I didn't get out, that would have been me. And I'm just, I'm, mm. I think a lot of people react with a lot of sarcasm towards uh, folks who are still caught. I mean, not caught, stuck, uh, you know, whatever you want to, because for me, like I look at that world and like, I no longer get pissed about it as mm -hmm. I mean, like, as let me rephrase that. I get pissed about like the political actions, which take away the rights of us all. Um, and I'm also just like, kind of like what you said, I understand. I understand perfectly how we got here, why it's still going, why it's so hard to take apart, how long it's probably going to take. And I have pity on the people who aren't experiencing more freedom presently. So I, uh, I, um, I understand why all this shit's been happening the way it's been happening. And I have pity on the people who are stuck because like I was stuck and it's just like, what's going to get you unstuck. And like, yeah. And but it's like the closer you are to any sort of privilege or any sort of illusion of that privilege, you, it's so hard to just, it's in your whole body. Like it's your whole brain that has to be deprogrammed. Your whole body has to be reprogrammed. And it's like, I don't know if it's, it's like, it needs to happen faster. At least that's like my, you know, my, mm -hmm. my feeling. Mm -hmm. I've really been thinking about that lately as I'm even working like on this, this next book on grief um, and, 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 and like reframing, like, like this idea of like, you know, grieving and mm -hmm. really thinking about like personal grief and like, what does it mean to grieve the self that you are not anymore, but that other people remember? Um, or what does it mean to grieve every one of those selves you've became mm. and what died during that moment. Um, or even how does one on the flip side of grief walk yourself or others to healing even when you're at this step of the, at this, at this point in time, this type of person, like how do you, how do I think about like grace with myself and grace with other people even as they're changing and seeing change as sacred. And I, and I really been thinking about like, yo, like what, what is it that made us like, what is it that made us change? What, what is it that like, what is it that, that, that like, that, that, that differentiates a person who stays and remains the same versus the person who leaves and remains open to the possibility of something better in the future. And I believe that the difference between those two people is that one has learned the language of grief and one has not. Ding dong. You know, one, one has learned, you know, how, or, or if the other has learned the language of grief, they have learned the language of unjust grief. And that's the type of grief that believes that another person, you know, is taking something from me. So I'm going to double down on who I am. I'm going to double down on what I have. I'm going to double down on what I feel I need to protect in order to hold these ideas and ideologies about myself or the people that is a sense of safety and protection and identity that I don't want to give up. But then the person who learns a sort of type of liberating grief or a certain type of uh, the grief that 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 is rooted in grace um, and self-love. One understands that like, yo, I cannot, be, I cannot be the type of person that other people must get smaller in my presence or mm -hmm. other people don't want to be around me or other people feel as if my very existence around them is suffocation. There is a problem like like one should like I feel like we change because we learn that language of grief of saying that whoever I am right now, whatever I am right now is not 
Something that's loving is not something that feels whole, is not something that's healing, is not something that makes my soul well and make me feel at peace. But there is something that I am missing and I cannot get to that place or get to that person unless I have a framework of actually finding out who I actually am rather than trading my humanity or trading my uh, 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 desires for success and acceptance to other people who only want to use me as a weapon in their gun. You know, and I think once we get to that point, it's a messy, ugly, hard point Mm -hmm. to get to because it means that, like, I have to be self-aware. I have to actually listen to the voices that's challenging me. I actually have to, like, yeah, go ahead. I have to become responsible for my life. Yes, I want it. I think that, like, really good grief and good grief i mean like when grief is like used as both like the practice i really i love thinking about grief as a practice because when i allow my like when it comes up whatever it is whenever it happens to show up knowing that there is a process that i can walk through of compassion and sweetness and tenderness and support that is going to help me navigate it uh, in a way that is healthy. Because I've also like been on the other side where grief is not acceptable. You just got to get over it. You know, like I swear to God, like the day after my, my, uh, my dad died, my mother just was just like, you know, like, you know, he's in a better place. I'm just like, Mm. you know, after my grandmother died, after my grandfather died, everybody's just, I was the only person who cried at my grandmother's funeral. I was the only person I saw there who like shed any tears. And I'm like, why? And this, why is this not okay? Why is it not okay mm-hmm. for me to sit on the back row and just be sad while y'all saying I'll fly away up in the mm-hmm. front. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's because like, you know, for whatever reason, people think that like to be sad is to like confess an unbelief in something to confess an unbelief in their afterlife that they think that they have to be so sure about. Otherwise they're not going to get to go there and experience it with their beloved dead. And I'm over here thinking, I'm just like, I'm just learning how to love her without her body now. And that feels hard to me because she was always right here. So for me, like now, like grief, grief becomes the practice that like, I now get to like, learn how to relate to whoever has died or whatever has died in a different way. You know, if it's a person, Mm -hmm. it's like, I have to relate, I have to love them without their body. How do I continue to love them even though they're not where I can feel, you know, see him, taste him, touch him, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what happens when, like, their life lives on through me, when I remember the ways that they taught me, the things that mm-hmm. they, the ways mm-hmm. that they loved me, the things that gave me? What happens with every time I eat this bread and drink this cup when I remember? Mm-hmm. Does not oh, eternal... 100%. That's eternal life, baby. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I, and, I, and, and one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to do right now is, like... <sighs> trying up in that idea that grief is just associated with death yes like 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 i feel like i feel like one of the reasons why we struggle with collective grief right now is because we're trying to learn how to deal with what happens when people die when Mm. we also really do need to learn how to live when things have died in us Mm -hmm. think about the pandemic Yes. The new normal. Like, like we're, we're, we're still trying to grieve like the loss of certainty in a world that felt so sure. Oh, yes. Like so many people were at before 2020, whether they were writers, they were creatives, they, they were musicians like like you could go on the show. You could go on the road. Like it lined up. Then COVID happened. And it's like. I mean, fam, like mm-hmm. people was doing like live concerts on like on, on IG, on the Zoom. you know, and it was on Zoom and it was beautiful because like, like that is how one learned how to grease. It's about adjusting to the moment, remembering the gift that actually made us laugh and dance a little. You know, when, when, when 2020 happened and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ma Arbery happened and even beyond that, like, like. We, we learned how to write through that and produce art that spoke to that moment. 
like like and 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 one of the challenges right now is that we're dealing with what happens when we're trying to develop language for grief and the world we're living in doesn't create room for it like 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 yes because at the end of the day bro next book project next song next podcast next church service next election it's always next algorithm algorithmic cycle it's always Oof. moving it's always moving it's always moving and like if we always moving like like what does that do to us like what does that do to the soul what does that do to creativity what does that do to the mind what does that do to like how we function together what does that do to us i don't think it does anything well because it's like you have to like kill things unnecessarily in order for you just to simply breathe and live. And I don't think that's healthy for anybody. Yep. And I feel like you just read my journal and was sitting in on my therapy session. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, oh man, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry for coming inside your neighborhood like that, brother. How dare, how dare. No, that really like the, I think as like, I mean, when I was in 2020, I was going to graduate from grad school and I had all these retreats planned and that was going to be the future. I'm going to be a coach and I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to do all these things and bring people together because the revolution is now. And then it's just like the revolution is tip pause, go home. Don't, and uh, it really like I had to pivot and figure out what I was going to do. And I'm still there. I still feel like I'm questioning like what's what like what am i to what what is mine to do is a question i keep kind of at the back of my mind particularly one question that's been floating around my brain something like you know what could spirituality be beyond strict christianity or fundamentals christianity or how we've known it so far and you self-identified as a pastor so when you say you're a pastor what does that what does that mean exactly in your book what are your pastoral duties? Do you have duties? I think for me, it's yeah, 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 yeah. I do got duties <laughs> every week, uh, <laughs> um, and 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 trying as best I can to like lead a team and while also being a really good team player, um, you know, because I'm a digital pastor here, um, and and I think for me, one of the things I've really been challenged with is like, what does it mean to show up for another person when they're lonely? Like that is ministry for me trying to be a dependable presence for people who are experiencing deep, deep loneliness. Like whether that means like getting content in front of them, whether that means like small groups, whether that means checking in, whether that means like, okay, somebody text me, I text them back, you know, as best I can. I want us, I want our team, you know, I want my ministry to be dependable, you know, for people. Why also, you know, trying to expose them to better ways of thinking about their faith, even even as we're like rooted in a particular tradition um, of Christianity in America, um, a part of the Progressive National Baptist Convention. Like, how can I do my part, you know, to to, you know, generate, you know, very good conversation, generate engage in imagination, generate like belonging together. In, 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 in healthy ways in, in, in ways that's whole and, and beautiful, you know, and, and, and things like that. And just like, man, trying to enjoy life. Like, I feel like so much of ministry is like programmatic when I feel like, say it, like, say like it. There, there is a part of like ministry. I feel like, and I, and I want to use this term in the way I think like, you know, like Audre Lorde used the term of erotic. Like, like one of my like, favorite like, essays. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, so like you got Alice Walker who says, you know, womanist is like loves women and men, non-sexual sexually. And I think we, we have to, like the use of the erotic as a sort of type of like being together in joy, like in enjoying the life that we have been given, enjoying the life that has been made. You know, um, K.S.A. Lehman, the writer, was recently talking with Alice Walker uh, about her writing um, 
the color purple. Um, and, and he asked her, you know, at any moment, were you happy? Uh, did you experience happiness writing the color purple? And like the the assumed answer to that question for writers is always no. Writing is not happy. Like I'm going through that right now. Like literally like writing essays is not a happy thing. Like writing a book is not happy, you know. But then like Alice Walker challenged me when she, she said her answer. He asked her, did you have happiness? And she said, of course. Who wouldn't be happy with the opportunity to offer this type of gift? I was mm. like, that's real. Delicious. Like I feel like I feel like ministry for me as I'm trying to like live it out at Tabernacle Baptist Church here in Augusta, Georgia among a team is like I want us to legit like be happy that we're able to do this thing called ministry or to reimagine it or to reinvent it or to keep trying to be better at it. Um, and even as a writer, like if I can keep it a buck with you, like it is hard to say like writing shouting in the fire was happy or writing what I'm writing right now. And is happy because oftentimes content's a little like, like a little heavy. It is, it is heavy. But then even more than that, like there's a part of like insecurity as a writer, you mm. know, the, the, the competition that we're forced into the self distrust, that like this context that we're working in, like believes that there can only be one of us or there can be only one style of art or there can be only one type of this. And none of us are immune to a capitalist mm. system that only wants one type of thing. Because we're Hello. trying to make a living. We're trying to do art. We're trying to get, do something you know, as you're saying, that's revolutionary. That is healing. That's liberating and loving. And we love doing it. But then also we got bills we got to pay. Like we also legit, you know, are trying to make something of the life that we have been given, especially for those of us where the life that we have have had many parts of it rejected. Yes. Like, so who can blame a person for wanting to experience the best possible life when the life they have been given has been rejected by so many people with so much power? Uh, or, or what now? Who can blame them when we find when we fall fault to like envy and jealousy and strife, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? But I do feel that at some point we should return home to the fact that like people want to hear us, people want what we have, and they will be at the end of that creation of that thing waiting to receive the offering that we give them. And that in itself, that future delayed gratification that that makes for a life of happiness, that delayed gratification that makes for a life that makes a difference, that delayed gratification that makes for our name being remembered as the best possible type of people like that type of thing. The commitment to that, the commitment to the process, the commitment to the craft, mm -hmm. the commitment to the everydayness of it is mm -hmm. what will keep us. And guide us to happiness, even when like the grief of rejection, the grief of failure, the grief of all of this. Yes. Just goes on. Yes. The sermon, the sermonic moment. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for coming to the show. We'll see you next. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, when you're thinking about like, like when we're like, you know, we talk about ministry and because i'm thinking like you know future the future of the church i actually or uh i went to an ordination of my friend leo shage um this past sunday um it was the most black queer thing i've been at in a long time it was very very fun wow because it's wow. like because leo's um black queer trans non-binary their family was there all of our ministry friends have been there um, I've also never heard the Quran a read aloud, let alone at a Christian ordination. And that was sickening, uh, mm. in the best way for mm. those of you who don't know gay jargon, sickening is a good thing. Um, <laughs> uh, 
But the thing that like kind of just like hit me was something that one of the, the person who's giving the charge to the candidate said is that your calling has always been bigger than the church. It's always been bigger than one one particular church on you know Park Avenue. It was bigger than the institution. It was been bigger than the seminary. It's always been bigger than that. So you're not being ordained to a local anything, but just affirmed that your impact, it, like you're already doing it. And so something that really like hit me was like, I feel like the reason I felt so uncomfortable, like still being like, I don't know, maybe this is my uncomfortable with like the local church and, or just my uncomfortability with the title Christian myself is like, it feels bigger than that. And I think there's a lot of humans out there for whom their expansion feels bigger. And yet at the same time, it's like, there's nowhere to go yet, you know? Mm. And so it's like, mm. do I stay here and suffocate or do I mm -hmm. strike it out and try to figure out who else is out here? Not facts. I empathize with that so much because I feel like I feel like a lot of people just in public around conversation regarding like reimagining faith or like, you know, deconstruction, you know, give people an unnecessarily hard time when they're just simply trying to find home again. It's so interesting that we praise the story of the prodigal son or we praise the story of the lost sheep who was found. But we shame and blame those who are simply just trying to wander and find home. The, 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 the same people who, who like, you know, week in and week out, preach about Jesus, talk about God's grace and patience and love are the same people who are so ungracious and unloving to others who is just simply trying to say that like, whatever this is, is not working for me. And there are a multitude of stories in our sacred texts of people journeying from places that just don't feel like home anymore. And one of the most sacred things about those journeys is God's affirmation of that journey and meeting them along the way. Mm. I'm thinking of Moses particularly. Like I was just talking to a friend about this and like how Moses was good. You know, he was he, he was in Midian. He had what he needed. He got out. He, he, he was good. He was Gucci, you know, and, and and then God, you know, shows up in the burning bush and, and meets him there in the burning bush. And, and two things blessed me. Number one, that 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 th th the first thing that really blessed me about the text, even as I thought about my own journey, is that like even when I leave places, that's not the end of the story. Like we can see this in our journeys. Oh. Like even when I leave a place, yes. that's not the ending of the story. Like that, that whatever, whatever happened in chapter one or chapter two or chapter three or chapter four is not always what will happen in chapter six and chapter seven and chapter eight, nine and 10. Like, me leaving can also be a catalyst for something God was preparing me for that I just didn't have the foresight and insight and awareness to be hip to. Mm -hmm. So like Moses never thought that like Midian would actually be the place where he would find his calling and vocation. But God did. And that's the first thing that blessed me is that like, yo, number one, you know, that ain't the end of the story. But number two, the second thing that blessed me, and really three things blessed me about this. So second thing that blessed me, you know, as any good preacher, they got to- Come on now, things. get those can't, three points. Can't be, one and, can't be one or two, you know, or whatnot. No, it got, bring it, it got to be either, yeah, it got to be three. But the second thing that blessed me is that like Moses wasn't the only person that God met along the way in their season of wandering. Mm -hmm. And too often, too many people too many christians believe that the way that that i am moses and god only meets me 
When in actuality, much like the disciples and Jesus in that story where the disciples are griping about the person who's healing in the name of Jesus and Jesus mm-hmm. correct them and says, you know, the person who's not against us is for us. They couldn't have the they, they didn't have, you know, the compassion or, 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 or didn't have the idea or the, the type of the type of expansiveness to believe that God is not only at work in my story. God is also at work in a person whose social markers not are not named. We get nothing about that person's social markers. We get nothing mm. about their religious status. We get nothing about their religious community. We get nothing about their, their, their lives. We don't know who they were, but we do know that that was a person that God was working through. And if that mm. is a person that God is working through and you see the good that's coming from their lives, number and one, you, you should actually it. be able want it you should number one actually have a framework to actually say that that is good uh you should not have a framework that believes that just because they're not a part of the quote-unquote good i'm doing that their good is not good at all so Mm -hmm. number one you should have a framework to even declare that that is good and number two you should have the humility to realize that you are not the only person that god loves the problem is that that like so many of us believe have been led to believe, have been discipled, have been socialized uh, to believe that like we are the only ones that that God cares about or we are the only ones that society should care about. Or we are the only ones that like deserve tears or crying or safety. And, and I thought about I thought about this when I think about like grief and like a just world. And, and, I, and I, I, I believe that a just world or a just church uh, or a loving church or a loving world is always a, a, a grieving world or a grieving church. Because when you think about societal level or communal level, grief is always about thinking about who deserves tears and whose des- pain deserves to be alleviated and whose body deserves safety, protection, Ooh. love and clarity. Like, like suffering that is, matters. That, yeah, whose suffering matters. And, and and because we believe that that person suffering or their lives doesn't matter, then we can easily cut them off. But what Moses' story and so many stories teach us that we are not the only people that God care about. And the third mm-hmm. thing that blessed me about that story, you know, is that like, yo, like Moses was good. But the reality is that freedom is never, ever, ever. An isolation project. Freedom is always, always a communal story mm-hmm. and experience. And I think, and I think for so many of us, or so many people, because I that's not me anymore, so I can't even say us. Mm-hmm. I feel like so many people don't have the framework to say that maybe God is actually at work in their lives. And I just don't have the grace, compassion, or language to reckon with it or recognize it. Mm. The the inability to recognize God's presence, I think, and when I say God's pre- for me, when I say God's presence, I think about just like the awareness of peace mm. that is, you know, or the awareness of love's presence in all things, the awareness of God in every moment, like. Thich Nhat Hanh wrote in Living Buddha, Living Christ, that mindfulness and the Holy Spirit are pretty much synonymous. That to be in the present mm-hmm. moment aware of what's going on is to have the mind of Christ. And I think being able, like something you said, not being a communal, like freedom being the communal project. I think in some ways, like if I look at that story, is like I wonder what would have happened if Moses didn't go back? He could have stayed in Midian. He could have chilled. Mm-hmm. And it, then mm-hmm. his freedom would have been on his own, but then he also has this calling, his feeling of, there is a great desire within me to see my other people free because I know that my freedom will even be more complete by going in that direction and, and sharing this with more people. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think too many of us, like we, like we get freedom from our uh, initial thing. You know, we get free of evangelical church. We get free of... Uh, being in uh, heteronormative spaces, we get free of predominantly white spaces. Then it stops. You know, mm-hmm. we, we. I think that, and I think that's a, a Western, possibly American thing of indi- like it's about individually. If I feel good, and this is also like a problem with like the New Age movement. I think is like it's so much mm-hmm. about 
uh, individual practice, individual practice, individual practice without any sort of like recognizing I'm doing this because I'm a part of a communal thing and I'm committed to communal health. I'm committed, mm. like I'm committed to my liberation because I'm committed to everyone's liberation. And if I'm, if I'm not doing both, I'm missing, I'm missing something. I'm missing mm. a part of my expansion. I'm missing a part of my own freedom. Mm. That's the mm. thing people don't recognize is that like the reason, you know, you know, Moses was able to accomplish this thing is because he recognized his own freedom is wrapped up in it too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like really, like maybe not like, you know, his physical freedom because he could have stayed out in Midian, but just the freedom of his mind and soul, the freedom of his, his heart was out on the line. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so many of us, when we, you know, get free, it's just like, what is it to think of? Like, what is it to move from the evangelical mindset of us, 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 one, 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 Mm-hmm. to all of us and we 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 are one 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 mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah and no it, it it makes complete sense and i feel like i feel like people got to be honest about how hard that is yes like like you 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 you're talking about like legit like altering who you are at the very core of your being like altering <laughs> what like Yes. Like what you what you mean about yourself, like how you name see and act within the world. You're talking about like I, I feel like I feel like liberation is as much sociology as it is or, or sociological practice as it is a sort of type of philosophical practice. Yes. Like it is or theological practice. Like liberation is as much about changing like the the, the kind of structure of like how we do life as much as it is changing our minds or changing our heart and all mm-hmm. of those things come into part. But like raise a child and you would understand, you know, that like, like to grow is hard. Live your own life. You know that like growing takes years. And if, I've lived years and years and years in a situation that just didn't stunt my growth, but that denied it and delayed it. It would take that much work and that much years to believe again that growth is not just a necessity, but it's actually a possibility and a right. And to actually instill the things inside of you that's needed to grow. So like, for example, right. When it came time for me to leave, like football, I talk about two things like football and white evangelicalism. When it came time for me to like leave football, that was one of the hardest things ever because my whole life was built on it. Right. I was good at it. I loved it. It gave me a lot. It 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 it, it did a lot for me. But then like whenever like that door shut, something had to happen so I learned how to let it go. And that was a long, arduous, hard thing to say, this part of my life is done and it's forever gone into the past. And that's a hard thing for anybody to say, this part of my life is gone and it's a thing of the past. I can live in it. I can remember it. I can talk about it. But the fact of the matter is, This is not me anymore. And I got to figure out a way how to remain open to what's possible right now. When I left white evangelical spaces, I'm like, I got to think different. I got to read different. I got to write different. I got to talk different. I got to think just completely different. So therefore, this house is full of books. Therefore. Full of (laughs) like, like it's full of books. It's full of stuff. It's full of all of this because every day. I'm trying to give myself my body back. I'm trying to give myself my dreams back. I'm trying to give myself what was stolen and robbed of me and not afforded me in so many areas, not just in yes. ways, just in er- so many areas. And that was the trust that what I believe about myself is actually true. <laughs> the, the trust that whatever I desire for my life and feeling my gut and my own intuition will lead me to the right place. And that's a daily practice. I take a lot of self-awareness 
a lot of humility, a lot of courage, a lot of belief, a lot of discipline. But more than anything, it takes a whole, whole, whole lot of love. Yeah. And who in this world don't need that type of love that would allow us to grow into the people that we believe we can be the whole time? My, my. Do you... Do you keep any spiritual practices like on the mostly daily or on the daily that keep you like real mm-hmm. solid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the on the daily for me, like it's it's definitely like you know. I I mean, this is just the churchy part of me, bro. Like, come on now. I I, I am know. a daily I am a daily Bible reader, brother. Uh, <laughs> I am a <laughs> I, I, the Bible. I am I know right. I am <laughs> I am a daily I'm a daily Bible reader. Um, but then also like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a daily also prayer and I'm a daily I journal every day. You know, I, 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 I read every day, you know, because, you know, those are things that just remind me of what I'm, what I'm doing all this for. Like, like, like I'm doing it because I love it. You know, I'm doing it because like, I've already seen the future of where I can go and where this world go. And I know that like what I'm doing right now is preparing me for that future and preparing others for that future. And I want to be ready when that future comes. I don't want to be getting ready. I, I want I, when when it comes time for my name to be called, I want to be in a place spiritually that I don't get too enamored by that place or get too anxious about the spotlight or get too insecure or imposter syndrome to believe that I don't belong there. And the tough part is like I was listening to a, um, I was looking at one, one of these runners I really like. Um, and, and there was this like voiceover that said, you know, my, my discipline, you know, will motivate me. My, my discipline would do what my motivation won't, or I don't wait to mm. be motivated. I'm disciplined. Like, right. I don't wait to be, I don't wait for that. I, I, I'm i already doing it. And then I was listening to Andre 3000 the other day, and he was like, yo, when I don't create, I don't feel good. You know, I, when, I, when I don't create, I don't feel good. And he yes. says, like, one of the challenges is always, like, like, not just creating, but, like, being yourself. And so these are my daily spiritual practices because I'm always trying to find every single day how to be Dante. Yes. When I feel like there are so many voices, so much trauma, so much grief, so many dreams that like call to me every day and war at me. And I'm just trying to figure out like how to be myself and how to love the person that I am and how to listen to the song that's in my own soul so that when people hear that song, they know it came from my own belly. And not being robbed of another. You know, you got your song, cool. You know, but as Andre 3000 said, you know, you, you want to create in a way that you don't mimic. Like, like there's mm-hmm. ins- there's a difference between inspiration, you know, and 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 mimicking. Yeah. Like, like, and then there is a part of like mimicking, you know, that needs to happen for inst- inspiration to be had. You know, you know, I, 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 I unashamedly would try and mimic what some of my best favorite writers do. I, I oh, may yeah. not be there yet, but I'm going to try and do it. I, I, I try and mimic some of my favorite preachers. I'm not there yet, but like there's a difference between like, yeah, trying to be a photocopy mm. and actually trying to do the hard work of being yourself. And I feel like those spiritual practices, I, I trust and it don't feel like this all the time. Just like today, it doesn't feel like this today. Right. Um, but I do trust that like whatever practices I'm putting in place is actually going to yield some fruit in a season that's going to be good. When I tell you that's what I talk about, the practices we keep today are seeds and we are tossing them out in our fields. Some are going to hit the rocks, mm-hmm. some going to hit the thorns, some going to get eaten by birds, but some of them in the part of my heart that is tilled up that is ready for it. Hundredfold, baby. And I'm ready for it. We could probably keep preaching at each other for an hour, and uh, we probably should, because that would be fun. Um, But I've been ending every little conversation by asking five questions of every person. So Dante Stewart, are you ready for just 
one thing five times. I love, oh, I love, I love, I love like conversation ending question. This is the best. Yeah. What's one thing you like about yourself? I think the thing I like about myself most is how self-aware I am. I think, yeah, self my self-awareness. I really like that. I like it too. It is quite refreshing. Um, what's one thing you're super proud of? My ability to endure. Mm. What's one thing that really pisses you off or is just like a pet peeve of some kind? Right now, in this very moment? Any Anything. Yeah, I think in this very, I'm going to talk about this very moment. Like, I think the thing that's like a pet peeve is like when people talking about like religion in public, they still listening to the same people who are like adjacent to or still in those white evangelical spaces and they don't give room for other people to like talk about religion. Mm-hmm. Like actual bit, religion right. and not evangelicalism. Oh, 100%. Like, like I, I cannot stomach another long form essay about how white evangelical voters are going to vote. Like, I can't stomach another interview about white evangelicals and Donald Trump. Like, yeah, I don't, that's a very, that's a, a gigantic pet peeve right now. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd put myself there. I'm just like, y'all, you're, you're freaking yourselves out a little bit. Like, what if you, like, just go, Fair Fight needs some volunteers, you know, votesaveamerica.com needs some volunteers for people. Like, just put that anxiety where it can, can be helpful. Anyways. Yep. That's my 100. plug. Uh, what's one thing you're super committed to? Or regular committed? Just regular Yeah, committed. my family. My family. I'm, I'm totally committed to, like, giving my family the best possible life we can live. Mm. Um, and I and I and I I determined to do that as a writer. I'm going to make it as a writer to where my family will live the best possible live that we wasn't afforded in the past. Fuck yeah. Hell. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Want it. And what is one thing you want to do before you die? That's heavy. Mm. Or it can just be something you haven't done yet. It can be as heavy or as no. not heavy as you want it to be. Yeah, I think I think was one thing I want to do before I die is I want to give my people like, I mean, I mean, I'm talking about like my immediate family or like my grandma. Like I want to give them what they never got. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's one thing I want to do before I die. Like, mm. I want to give them what they never got. Whatever that is, whatever that look like, like I, I want to make sure that they die happy, mm -hmm. yeah. like, and not and not and not die like so many of us have to die broke, broken, yeah. Hell yeah, I fucking like you, Dante. You're cool as shit. I appreciate it, fam. I try to be, fam. I yeah. try to be, and you succeed. Uh, you you try man. and you succeed. Um, so uh, I know we're at time. So please tell humans on the internet where they can find you, find your work, and do you have a release date for the second book, or is that TBD still? I'm I'm working really really hard on it right now, and my deadline for myself is October one, um, to 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 at least get that that first kind of manuscript out of me because I I'm, mm. I'm I shine in revisions like whether that's as an essay writer, I I shine in revisions, and once I get like that like that initial joint out of me to where I'm like, okay, I, I know where I want to go. And I, like, I already know the last scene. It's just, I got to just, just get me to the last scene. Um, then yeah, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be there. But like, yeah, I, I, October one is my, is my like hard. September one was the first half to get the first half done. And October one is second half. Cause I'm, uh, also working on my, uh, debut YA novel. Um, yeah. That like, yeah, yeah. I I'm I wanna really put some like legit hard work to that like December ish. Like take a break November, you know, graduate at Emory because I'm graduating this this fall. Um, or, or whatnot and, and really yeah. But people can find me at Stuart Dante C or go to my website, DanteCstuart.com. You know, yeah, send me a DM. I'm super, yeah, I'm super accessible. I like to talk with people. I like to connect with people. I'm super accessible. Hit me up. 
Um, yeah. When I are you saying accessible? You're saying ex- yeah. you're saying accessible, right? I'm super accessible. Yeah, accessible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm super I keep hearing. So I was like, I'm super successful. I'm just like, that's right. You better fucking say that, bitch. <laughs> Let them know. Nah, I'm I not. Am. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. What's 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 their name? Who uh, just was in a storm on Twitter about their arrogance as a writer, the New York Times writer? Did you see that? No, apparently I, not. I think I think their name is Lena Wilson, maybe. Um, I have to Google yeah, it. Yeah, she she went on she went on this like long like TikTok thing about like I mean I, it was like months ago, but it's like resurfaced um, when she went on like yo I'm a successful writer I'm really good at what I do I wrote a terrible piece that was barely I wrote a piece at like 24 that was barely edited and got on front page of the New York Times it was terrible. Um, uh, nah, I, I ain't built like that. I ain't, I ain't built like that. I, I know what I can do, but I ain't, I ain't about to say, you know, like, yeah, I'm successful now. I just, I ain't there yet, bro. I got so much work to do. Don't we all? That was my conversation with Dante Stewart. If you want to follow him, please go to DanteCStewart.com and you can find links to all of his social media in the top right hand corner because they're a little different across each one of them. So check that out and be sure to go pick up a copy of Shoutin' in the Fire, an American Epistle. It's so good. Also, if you're an audible person or like an audiobook person, I love listening to this. I also am a big I'm a big proponent of just listening to audiobooks in general as a means of consuming books or or getting the information because Oh my gosh, it's so hard for me to sit and read sometimes. So please, if you're out there and you've never considered audiobooks as a format of of getting the things in you that you want to, just do yourself a favor. Get yourself an audiobook subscription somewhere. Or go to your local library, something like that. Anyways, that's the that about that. As per usual, I want to say a big thank you to all the people who help support this work, this podcast, and all the other content I create through being members of The Crowded Table. The Crowded Table is an online spiritual community curated by me and a couple other folks. And in there, we are trying to figure out how to do spirituality better, how to find the practices that lead us back to life. All of us are in spiritual recovery. All of us are learning how to become the best versions of ourselves. And so if you're out there, you're a deconstructing person, you're someone whose faith is in crisis, or you're just curious or hungry for a spiritual community that isn't fascist or homophobic or misogynist, or racist, uh, come hang out with us at The Crowded Table. To learn more about that community and also to join for free for the first week, you can go to thekevingarcia.com slash, I mean, it's got all the information there, or you can go to thecrowdedtable.mn.co. And if that sums it up. Make sure you go ahead and pick up my first book, Bad Theology Kills, at badtheologykills.com. Also, be sure to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. It really does help. And please share this podcast with somebody you know who you think this might be helpful for them. Share it with a friend or an enemy, especially an enemy. Definitely share it with an enemy. Share. (laughs) Your enemy probably needs to hear it. Also, pray for them while you're at it so you can be a good Christian. (laughs) Sorry. Anyways, I love y'all. Um, please be sure to follow me across social media at the Kevin Garcia. Till next time, take your meds, call your person, drink some water, shake your ass, eat something delicious, take a nap. Uh, make sure that at some point today you drink some water because I know I'm dehydrated. That's what I'm about to go do right now. All right. Love you, baby. Bye-bye.